But tonight, we have um, the 101, which is the how instead of the why. We talk about the why a lot. Well, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's, um, it's actually something that we've struggled with a little bit here at PubKey because we dive into some like 201, 301 level stuff pretty aggressively. And New York has a very good Bitcoin crew. Uh, we, have, we have bit devs. We have um, some companies in the space that are at that 201 or 301 level. But we've had um, a lot of uh, outreach to start at the beginning. Um, and that's what we're going to, I guess, hope to accomplish. Um, yeah, so th this is the most practical how, not why. So it's not going to convince people. It's not a you know, stand on the soapbox and say, this is all the reasons why. This is the actual nitty gritty. You are interested, and you're not trying to become a Bitcoin cult member, but you want exposure to, and you want to, from people that know, you want some advice and some guidance and some practical lesson. So the format for tonight is a very, like, we're, we're in a plane, we're doing a, a loop looking down of what is Bitcoin, and then it's how to buy Bitcoin, ways to buy Bitcoin, practically, and then how to send slash spend Bitcoin, and then how to save Bitcoin. And it's none of this is going to be the deep dive, super technical infrastructure behind. It's more recommendations, partial, you know, I, I, somewhat impartial. It's not like we're, you know, being paid off by anyone to say a certain way, but... Not yet. We're open. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but I, I think, you know, it, I, I have a, a soft spot for, you know, just the, the regular people in the world that are interested, but there isn't anything that they can just easily grab onto and be like, oh, that makes sense to me. And I think there's a lot of vocabulary that's a little bit prohibitive and restrictive, so there will be uh, some vocab. There will be some There will, there will be some vocabulary, but um, it, it should be fun. And then there's uh, room for questions after every segment. So Nifty is going to kick us off with the soaring in the clouds. What, what is Bitcoin? And then we'll move into how to buy. That was a great intro. Let's see. All right. So we got the plane in the air. Let's see if I can get a little closer to land. Is that okay? It's been a long time since I've talked like 101 level, what is Bitcoin? But I think I think the easiest place to start is it's it's just cash. It's like cash. The way I like to think of it is it's cash money. It's electronic cash, um, which is kind of hard. I think that's kind of a hard thing to really understand what that means. Um, and it's really built to be something that, you know, cypherpunks back in the day really like talking about peer-to-peer -peer computing you know your computer can talk to my computer we don't have to have computers talking to anyone hello, else hello. um computers computer computers computer computing um yeah and so this is like what if we could do the same thing with money what if i could have some money that's electronic and when i wanted to give it to someone else 
there was a way I could just send it to them directly. So peer to peer, right? Um, so, you know, and you look at Bitcoin kind of more globally. Are we talking about global ledgers? We can. What's a global ledger? A global ledger. It's a it's a big. Maybe we don't talk about global ledgers. I don't know. Um, but the whole idea with Bitcoin then is that um, you're able to hold independently without having to trust anyone. Um, money says that it belongs to you. And then because you hold it and it's money that belongs to you, you have the right to give it to someone else. So you can easily send your digital cash um, hand it over kind of via the network, via digital bits to someone else, and then they can hold it in their wallet, which was revolutionary. Like the fact that people are able to do this with um, an electronic object that is the money. Um, it was the first time anyone was able to make that work on a digital scale. So that's really, really cool. Um, and I think, like, you know, when you compare it to other early, like, electronic cash systems, I guess like credit cards are probably the one that most people have experience with. So when you have a credit card, that's that's that was one of the first digital cash systems. Your ability to transact digitally with a credit card, it's really cool and exciting. The only difference is that credit card networks all go through existing banks, right? So if I want to use a credit card to move money to pay someone for a service or you know you're at a store or you're on an online like website and you check out using your credit card that's a digital payment also only difference is that you're asking a bank to process that payment to move the money from one person's account to another in bitcoin you don't have to ask anyone you can just do it you are your own bank you're on your you're your own bank there is no customer you are the customer service you are the customer service yeah there is no one else involved that you need to ask permission right a lot of people will call it permissionless money and that that is because at 24/7 365 you can send your money to whoever you want to in a really transparent way, too. I don't think we'll get into the transparent stuff today to see it. But, um, yeah. So that's that. How far down do we get? Are we landing yeah, we, yet? Yeah, we Are circled. We, like, oh, we looked. Okay. And, and the example that I uh, like to follow up on credit cards is Venmo. I think great example. A also. lot of people have Venmo, and you can keep a balance in your Venmo. You know, y you you cash out, right? Like, so mm -hmm. if someone sent me $100 on Venmo, I have to actively remove it from Venmo. Venmo's holding that for me. And I can send Venmo dollars. I mean, they don't call it that. But, <laughs> but that's what it but is. But that's what it is. That's what it and is, I can yeah. send Venmo dollars to someone. And then it's their Venmo dollar. And then they can cash out. And it's a very, very similar, except instead of Venmo dollars, it's all your own you know, digital dollars, um, and and there is a there is a digitization that, you know, cash is the most untraceable currency because there isn't a electronic aspect that is going to remember that transaction. So there is going to be a memory with every single Bitcoin transaction. There is, and and that's that digital ledger. But I think that's a great high level. It's it's a digital money. It's digital currency. So there are different ways to buy it. And I think... Yeah, how do you get it, right? right. Where does Bitcoin come from? It grows on trees. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, what we won't go 
deep into, but Bitcoin mining, I think, it, you know, there's there's a lot of that you could get super technical and you could go super deep down into how it's working, all of the ways. But Bitcoin is being produced by computers, miners, that the miners are computers. No one's like digging. There aren't any physical. Speak for yourself, Mills. No, I got <laughs> I got some Bitcoin diggers out back and but but it's a it's a you know kind of confusing label I think because you know they're mining well they're running code the these com these supercomputers are running code and then the, there's like it it gets so like oh then they discover a block and there's there's all of this you know like it doesn't make logical sense because there isn't a roadmap of like something super comparable but I have two like ways of describing Bitcoin mining uh, to, to regular people. I'm going to try them out. One, Bitcoin mining is like honey. So bees go around to different flowers and collect nectar, and then they are bringing it back to the hive and converting. So it's really their effort. The bees work to go around and collect this nectar, and then they're storing it in this honeycomb. And it's very stable. It's, it's almost like a battery, except you know, with a battery, then you use the energy that was harvested. The final product is the honey in this, this metaphor. And it's this proof of work concept where the energy, if you, if you bought a miner and you plugged it in at home, it, you're paying your electric bill your electric provider to run this miner, and then this miner is converting, by running this code, is converting that energy that you're paying for into Bitcoin. And that's like as deep into, <laughs> um, the other one is the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. Oh, it's that one, Will Willy Wonka? The old Willy Wonka, the original, not the Timothy Chalamet. Oh, okay. Um, so the Gene Wil Wilder, Willy Wonka, they, they're in the process of finding the golden ticket. One of the people is trying to run a supercomputer to predict where the ticket will be. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so, fun. So it's this, you know, it was <laughs> simpler times. The, the computer took up, you know, it's like bigger than an old copy machine, mm. but it's spitting out coordinates based on where it thinks it will be. And that's a very similar method to the The way I like program. thinking about it, and I think this is, it's like a raffle, right? And so by running a computer with mining software on it, it's basically like paying for a lottery ticket, a raffle ticket, right? And then every 10 minutes, someone wins the raffle, and that's your reward exactly. is Bitcoin. So and you get more complicated because people start pooling their raffle tickets so they have a better option. Better odds, yeah. Yeah, so you get, like, these weird raffle cooperatives where they're, like, all trying to get all, like, pooling their raffle tickets because one of them's going to win, and then they all share the winnings, basically. But it's... I feel like raffle tickets is, like, the best thing. And yeah. so you're basically paying... So buying a raffle ticket, the cost... That, that raffle ticket thing in mining is basically paying for electricity. But I kind of wanted to maybe back up a little bit. I feel like there's three different ways you can get Bitcoin. 
Yeah, I wanted to be like, how how is it made? Oh, where does it come from? Where does it come from? Okay, so we the did birds and the bees, the birds like, and the bees situation. Uh, so with it so it has raffled, been yeah. mined. It has been produced. Once it is produced, it is in existence. There it, will yeah, it gets handled out to someone who's got the winning raffle ticket. Right. Every there, ten minutes, someone wins roughly. Right. R- roughly, yes. Yeah. So then you know there is um, this is something very distinct about Bitcoin versus other cryptocurrencies. There is a fixed amount that will ever be mined. So once we finish mining, that is it. We are still in the mining season of Bitcoin, but mining season. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And that is a huge distinctive and marker because there there are so many other currencies that someone changes their mind, we're making more, we're doing this, you know, and it's kind of like the Federal Reserve that just, they can print money whenever they want. They have the printing press. It's How do fine. you buy raffle tickets for the Federal Reserve? <laughs> okay, so how it's made, very high level. Now, how to buy it. Three three main ways you think? Yeah, what, what would you say the three main ways are? So exchanges. So Coinbase, Robinhood, um, I mean, there's a lot of more crypto focused. There's there's traditional stock investment. I think a common misconception is that Bitcoin is a stock or Bitcoin is an investment. And in certain ways, in the same way that gold is kind of an investment, but also kind of as a currency, I think there's some overlap there. Um, and then beyond, well, so exchanges, which are online platforms that sell a myriad of different currencies. Um, if you were to be an at-home miner, you would be, sometimes your lottery ticket would win. And so you would be getting your own, it's almost like you know you made your own little homestead and you got your own crop, your own produce. Um, the, the third way would be well, what would you say the third way is? Because you 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 put three out. Yeah, I would say you can buy it from someone else. You can mine it through your computer or someone else's computer, whatever. Or you can earn it. So you can do work and have someone pay you back in Bitcoin, right? So it's kind of I don't know. Yeah. It's the way I think of it. Hot dogs. Like hot dogs, <laughs> yeah. Like, I think there's even some games you can play now that will pay you back for your time and attention in Bitcoin, right? Yeah. And I think even like there was an integration, I think, on Bitcoin Magazine's app. If you read articles, you get paid sats as yeah. well. Okay. I just broke my own rule using a word without d- uh, defining it. So a lot of people have the misconception that to buy Bitcoin, you have to buy a whole Bitcoin. And that is false. You can buy a micro unit of Bitcoin, and they are called Satoshis. So I could buy 500 sats. I could buy 5,000 sats. I could buy a million sats. And I don't have to save up to be able to buy a whole Bitcoin. And I think it's, it's similar to just change. You know, it's a divisible. How many pennies are there in a dollar? A hundred. Right. So how many stats are there in a Bitcoin? 
a hundred million. million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can buy a, you can buy one sat, but that's one one hundred millionth of a bitcoin, right? Right. So. Okay. So you can mine your own, or you can earn. I like this as a as an earning. But I mentioned exchanges, and it's not to be. I guess it's to be a little mean, but I don't personally to I don't recommend to people to buy on an exchange because functionally you buy it and then they want you to leave it with them. They're like, "Oh, we'll hold your your Venmo dollars. We'll hold your cash. We'll hold your, you know, bank accounts. If you put some if you put money into a bank account, you are saying that bank you have my money and I have these IOU, I have like this number, but they are the ones that have your money. And the big difference with Bitcoin is that it is your money now. So the the term Well exchanges make money not from you holding it, but from exchanging, right? Like a an exchange doesn't care if the price is going up or price down, all they care is that people are trading, right? So right. if you take your Bitcoin off of the exchange well, you're not going to be making any trades with it anytime soon, so they're not they're not going to encourage that because that's not going to earn them any money. There's no incentive for them. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't know if you guys heard about this big thing called FT, FTX. There's a big exchange. They didn't have the Bitcoin they told people they had, right? They like sold people. They like had Bitcoin on the balance sheet and said they owed people. Their customers held the Bitcoin, but. They were out selling the Bitcoin out the back and didn't actually have it. So yeah, anyone can make a mistake like that. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, self custody. I mean, to Nifty's points, like if you're if you're at a casino. Right, you let's say you give the casino five hundred dollars and they give you the chips. Oh, yeah. We have a gambler in the room. They want you to lose those chips. Is is really what they want? So they want you to play with them. They want you to play blackjack and craps and like they want you to play with their currency. They don't want you to let's say double your buy-in and then cash out because then you're not giving them any more of your money and their businesses. And so their incentive is to, it, it is on the exchange and it's like, oh, you know, you, you, maybe you lose something over here. It's not that they're happy that you lost. It's that every time that there is a, a transaction, there is a fee on it. So to this self custody and to fees there with, each way that you can buy Bitcoin, whether it's an exchange or I want to talk about like, there are places that you only buy Bitcoin that are Bitcoin only. And so they sometimes will call themselves Bitcoin only exchanges. And what they're really doing is just exchanging dollars for Bitcoin. Yeah. There are some privately held mining companies and there are some publicly held mining companies and some of that is is different but 
It is it is the fees. Um, I, Thomas, I, w I want Thomas to answer this because he's going to give the best. Do you want to just come in the middle? Huh? The light's uh, better over here. Okay. Thomas is a, a resident mining expert. We have another, we have another uh, <laughs> mining expert. We have the co-hosts of the, the mining meetup. Um, so on the cost side for a mining operation, let's just use um, as an example like um, a, a business, a mining business. Because individuals can be miners too. But that's a little bit more complicated. So from the business perspective, you have on the cost side, everything is denominated in dollars. So that's the electricity, purchasing the equipment, the overhead, the data center that houses the equipment, everything that's running is on the cost side in dollars. These things are a little glitchy. I wonder if they're a little far from, from there. Um, and then on the revenue side, right, once, once you have a mining operation up and running and you've spent all those dollars or euros or yen or whatever, um, the expected revenue is denominated just in Bitcoin, right? So they can sign up with a mining pool or they can mine directly, which uh, uh, will give them a different sort of uh, cadence to the return that they're getting in Bitcoin. But effectively, once they're earning Bitcoin, that's the revenue that they're receiving. So if they get the, if they win, right, and we talked about the raffle or the lottery tickets, that's effectively winning the right to write the next block of transactions. As a part of that, you have the Coinbase transaction, the block reward subsidy, which right now is 6.25, thank you. And that's gonna have again at some point in April or May. Um, it's the dollar value of that Bitcoin, of that 625. And then also the transaction fees of the transactions included in that block. So at the end of the day, the hope for Bitcoin miners is the revenue they're receiving is you know, greater than the cost to keep all these things running. That's not always the case. And there's also a lot of other mining operations that are not mining for profit, right? It could be individuals that just want to... Um, uh, have access to the network, right? They want to participate. They're like hobbyists. And they're not worried about the electricity that they're spending. They have a couple of ASICs in the basement and they just like Great doing it because it's, it's their hobby and there's heat byproducts. There's also nation states that are cut off from the international banking networks, right? So you can think about places like Iran or North Korea that, you know, if they were to have like a large mining operation, it's worth the extra expense because they're getting an added benefit beyond the monetary value of the revenue, right? It's access to a global network in a way that they otherwise don't have. Um, that answer your question? They're huge. Yeah, I think it depends. Yeah, for sure, and it de it depends. So there's a lot of things. If we if we drill into some of the technicals on the revenue side, there are a lot of volatility risks. It's the price of Bitcoin, the market price of Bitcoin. But if a mining operation is not growing at the rate the overall network is growing, then they can expect to win less of the total share that's being released. Because again, every 10 minutes when you have a new block appended to the Bitcoin blockchain, that is releasing the 6.25 Bitcoin plus the transaction fees. That's fixed, right? So if you have less hash rate as a pro rata share of the overall network, 
then you're in sort of a downward spiral. That, that has to come to head at, at a certain point. You have to continue to grow. So some mining operations are you know, in survival mode. Um, some mining operations are accumulating more equipment and they're growing rapidly. New mining operations, operations that are changing countries. It's really soup to nuts. Mining is very, very difficult business. It's one of the hardest businesses on the planet. It's very cutthroat. Um, it's about accessing as much cheap power as possible and executing on the operation side of things, um, you know, flawlessly. <laughs> so not everybody is able to, um, you know, put all of the different puzzle pieces together. Um, so, and then we also have a 50% reduction in the amount of Bitcoin that's coming every 10 minutes. So it's kind of the worst business on the planet uh, in many respects. <laughs> That, that's an excellent point. So, you know, you have on the cost side that I touched on, you have upfront capex, right? You have to buy the equipment, you have to sign, uh, like, you know, in many cases, a long-term power purchase agreement, the PPA, where you're getting the electricity from. It's a lot of electricity. Um, mining operations are sort of constrained into, you know, three typical buckets for getting the capital that they need to get started, right? They can borrow it as a debt facility, they can sell equity in you know, the future cash flows of the company, or they could potentially sell hash rate forward. The, they can sh sell their production forward. All three of these have you know, their own problems and nuances embedded. And I think what, what, um, what you were saying is it's um, a lot of these companies have uh, historically look to the debt facilities to borrow a lot of money uh, to go out and buy the equipment. And that's building in a lot of pressure for a new business that happens to be in one of the worst industries on the planet. <laughs> So it depends. It helps, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't save, right? So one of the biggest problems that Bitcoin miners face, it's called the, uh, the difficulty adjustment, um, and just basically the rate of change of the, the cumulative hash rate. If they're not keeping pace with their competitors, they're effectively losing. So even if the price of Bitcoin goes up, good for them, but also good for their competitors. So they're playing a different game in terms of capturing the rata share and growing their pro rata share of the total uh, market. Yeah. It's a zero sum game. Yes. Right? Like it's, it actually is. It's it's the most zero sum game I think that exists on the planet today. Like it's except there's also another interesting and we have a mining meetup. This is this is more this is more the yeah, 201 this 301. This is not a 101 <laughs> content. No no no, okay, no 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 no. This okay. is I know. this is a great question <laughs> and these are like it's always an open format questions so we're happen, hap, happy to 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 answer these questions and they're really good questions. It is a zero sum game, but there is a mechanism built into Bitcoin that actually prevents against it being a zero sum game. So if one individual miner is getting close to 50% of the total hash rate, the confidence in the system is going to uh, take a hit. So mining operations and mining pools 
are always sort of striving for this 45 to 49% sweet spot. But even that is like a little bit too close because if you have a miner that has majority hash rate or close to it, then um, you're starting to degrade some of the most, I think, powerful uh, aspects of, uh, of the protocol, which is sort of decentralization. You want all the miners, you want a lot of miners, you want them all to be unhappy, but you want them to continue doing what they're doing. So it's a sweet spot. It's like a marriage. <laughs> yeah, what was your question? So the question was, can we make a difference or explain a broker versus an exchange? This is, a, I don't. Well, so another place where, I, I'm gonna talk about HODL HODL. Where are you gonna go with this? So an exchange is gonna match buyers and sellers. A broker uh, is basically gonna provide that service. So there's like a technical difference in terms of what the venue is. So you can think of, you know, even it gets blurry because even Coinbase, FTX, they have market makers that are basically buying and selling all the time to create liquidity. So if somebody wants to come in and buy an amount of Bitcoin or sell an amount of Bitcoin, there's always going to be effectively a match. A broker, uh, I think in, the, in, this, in this context, um, over-the-counter uh, over transactions, OTC transactions, let's say somebody wants to buy or sell a large block of Bitcoin. You wouldn't necessarily go to Coinbase and just say, you know, market buy a thousand Bitcoin, market sell a thousand Bitcoin. You would you would look to find either an OTC desk that serves as a broker, and a lot of times they'll take the other side of the transaction because they are effectively the market makers that are piping into these exchanges. And this is actually a really messed up area right now because one of the largest ones has gone under with Genesis and FTX. Um, and you can see that reflected a little bit more violently in altcoins and broader crypto beyond Bitcoin. Bitcoin is still tremendously liquid, uh, you know, as compared to any other cryptocurrency. Um, but when you look at, um, I guess, the effect that FTX had on something like Solana, they were big supporters of Solana, you can start to see the, um, uh, the, those like pain points expressed therein. Yeah. If I could like maybe just kind of summarize like who it's who you're buying and selling from like an exchange, probably buying from like another person like who's using the exchange, whereas with a broker or market maker, you're just buying directly from them, kind of dealing with that person sort of. Yeah, and I think in this context, like a local bitcoins or hodl hodl, where you like match up is is a great place to take. Yeah, so it's I mean if we're talking, I'm gonna make a really basic analogy, but like buying clothes. If you buy clothes from um, Old Navy, oh, they're, they're in stock. They are making the clothes. They have the cl clothes. They have lots of inventory. Versus, if you use a site like Poshmark or Real Real, or you're at a you know a, a consignment shop, you're more so buying from an independent direct, and there's a, a match made. Hoddle Hoddle is a platform for someone. I can say, hey, I am selling 0.25 Bitcoin. Right, and then at this rate, and then someone can see that, and they can say, "I want to buy that." And so, Hoddle Hoddle is providing a platform for that. So that is like a peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, finding, 
someone else that you are trusting and they have a they have a really I'm not going to go deep into it but they have a good like confirmation so that you know you're not being scammed because obviously this is risky there's a little bit of a peace of mind when you're buying on an exchange you know they're in stock like you you know you they they're kind of their their inter intermediary So this gets into some regulatory, like, muddy waters. Uh, by definition, a broker-dealer in the United States, at least, deals in securities. Bitcoin is, um, is Bitcoin a commodity. A security? Bitcoin is closest to a commodity, but there are, you know, questions around how mining operations deal with, you know, shares of Bitcoin, effectively, when they're hashing, and whether or not that's a security offering, particularly from mining pools and how mining pools pay out. That's a much more complicated topic that we'll get into at the Mining Monthly. But when it comes to, you know, uh, the, the operations of a broker-dealer, that still is expressed in other ways, um, but Bitcoin is not a commodity. A lot of the exchanges, though, I think what you're getting at, with the exception of, like, River and Swan and a couple of other ones that are um, Bitcoin only, for the and Cash App. Well, Cash App also does securities. Yeah. And uh, Coinbase, like other ones, they, they are more broker-dealer-like, whether they like it or not. They don't like it. But because a lot of the, a lot of the you know, altcoins that they... Uh, have on their platform are just, you know, objectively security offerings, unlicensed security offerings. So that that is a much more complicated topic. But I think, you know, the rivers and swans of the world are still, you know, forced to grapple with that that like, you know, regulatory un unclarity, <laughs> like muddy water. Yeah. I gotta say, when I was first getting into Bitcoin, so I got into Bitcoin in 2018. Uh, I think the first Bitcoin I ever bought was from Cash App. They had just launched this December before. Me too. Yeah, so that was like my first thing. But people would talk about like, I had no idea what like a security or a commodity was. I think the easy way to understand it is like commodity is like corn or silver or pork like belly. gold, pork belly. That's like an object that you're buying. So Bitcoin people regulatory and think of it as like a good it's like an object like a thing that you're buying yeah whereas securities are like shares in a company right like um you know ibm has shares those are securities you buy shares of like a might i don't know yeah yeah etfs are securities gold is a commodity gold is a commodity Bitcoin's regulated, my understanding, is exactly the same as gold. Yeah, Bit Bitcoin is a commodity. There is a lot of discussion, and some people argue that it's a security. And I think, you know, this is kind of the, the big picture. Bitcoin is not a get-rich-quick investment. It's not, you know, and I think if people could understand that, and if they do understand that, that it's just an alternative to money, to cash, to gold then it's very clear there's no argument 
it, it is a commodity, it's not a security, but I think there, the, you have to have that baseline understanding of kind of what it is, what is it solving? And, you know, especially like being inflation proof, right? That a lot of people, I think if they understood, it, it's almost like you wanna save some money and you wanna put money under your mattress. And so you're putting $500 under your mattress every week. Well, inflation is happening. The money that you put under was worth $500 when you put it under the mattress, but you have no way of locking it into place. And because of the nature of Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is always going to be worth one Bitcoin. Yes, the price, the value of one Bitcoin is fluctuating, but your amount of Bitcoin that you own is never changing. Right. And it's always one of 21 million, right? Right. The Versus fixed market cap. That $500 is of... Who knows? Of the, the money printer that just keeps keeps going, the Federal Reserve. Um, I want to keep us moving, and where we're at is self-custody. So we were talking about, you know, you, you've purchased Bitcoin, maybe on an exchange, maybe, you know, from peer to peer. But you there are ways that you can buy Bitcoin that um, it, it's like, oh, you, you don't necessarily... A, a grocery store and a restaurant are, are different in that, like, yes, they're both places you buy food, but one is a place you, you more so buy ingredients and one place you eat. And, and that parallel for you can, most places that you buy Bitcoin aren't necessarily the places that you can spend from. So if you bought Bitcoin somewhere, you have it in that account, you, you, could, you can send it to a wallet. You can send it to yourself and take it off of that exchange and, and custody it yourself instead of trusting whatever exchange that you bought it on. So we, we Thomas mentioned it briefly, but there are places that you can buy Bitcoin that you can buy a lot of different things and they want you to keep your money in the poker chips so you keep giving them money and, and are exchanging. But there also are alternative places where they only sell Bitcoin. And those places aren't trying to, you know, get, like get your money from you, but they're still all going to encourage you to custody your own Bitcoin and to know how to self-custody. But there are also services that different Bitcoin companies offer that help you in that custody process. And if you are, it, I don't know what the like true brackets of it would be, but like once you kind of, pass a threshold, at least in your personal finances, where it's not just like, I have this Venmo cash balance and that's fine and it lives on my phone. Once you get to a point where like, this is kind of like my savings account, that's, that's when you want to have a more secure option because you're you know, basically walking around with cash in your wallet. I think that's really well said. And we were talking about... Um, uh, Bitcoin's on exchanges a little bit earlier. And this is another uh, slightly more like nuanced and technical thing that's important. And it's also one of the reasons why a Bitcoin 101 is actually a really, it's one of the hardest things to do because it has to be a winding conversation. In, in my experience, you never know where people are going to have that hook and, and where the questions are really going to focus on because everybody comes at this thing from a completely different like place, right? At its core, I think you know Bitcoin is just a communication protocol. It's an internet protocol, and it is 
doing a really simplistic thing, and the way it does it has some touch points with how we think about money in the meat space, and that's how it actually has you know, value attached to it. With the exchanges and keeping money on exchanges and the decision between should I self-custody or should I entrust it to somebody else, there's a lot of rabbit holes that we can go down with that, right? So the personal responsibility, the backup, is there insurance on an exchange? What is the exchange doing with that Bitcoin, right? And this, is, this touches on what we were talking about a couple seconds ago with market makers, broker-dealers. Exchanges need liquidity to actually have liquid markets and to offer liquid markets to their, their customers. And one of the reasons people, probably the only metric that truly matters from a trading perspective is, is there deep enough liquidity on both sides of the order book, buy and sell? What we've seen since the collapse of you know, FTX, Block, uh, BlockFi before that, Celsius before that, the malaise that hit um, Genesis, is a lot of Bitcoin coming off of exchanges. Just an absolute like um, destruction of confidence in these institutions that they are confidently and, and competently holding the Bitcoin on their customers' behalf. And this is really one of the first times that we've seen it to such a severe degree, which is largely a good thing, but it also is a bad thing in some respects because we have less liquid markets. We have less liquid mechanisms for price discovery. What's the true price of Bitcoin, right? When we, tr when we start to trust you know, derivative ETFs and other things like that, then our pricing mechanism gets a little bit messed up. And this also ties into what Mills was just saying about um, uh, you know, the, the inflation hedge, right? Is this the true price of Bitcoin, 28 and change? Right? When we've had runaway inflation, maybe it's not so bad if you take out all the important things like food and healthcare, but it, 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 it still is pretty bad. So that goes into the price discovery side of it, which ties into how people think about custodying their own Bitcoin. So this is a little bit of a winding way of me saying that the Bitcoin 101, where do you start, is such a deeply complicated and tremendously important series. Um, that I, I think we're doing, I, I, both of you are doing a great job, not me, I'm just like, you know, our producer jerk said I was whoopee on The View. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey, whoopee. <laughs> well, and so the, this kind of tees up, there's, it, I'm not saying don't buy on an exchange, but when you're looking, whenever you're thinking about buying something, like, do you own it and is it yours? Right, and so you're giving let, Venmo dollars, right? You gave them your dollars to, to have Venmo dollars and now you can send that around. Well, you can cash it out to your bank account, right? There are some exchanges where it is actually kind of difficult to withdraw. I'm naming names. Robinhood isn't easy to take your money off. And I just want everyone to research, there are always fees there are always going to be fees when you convert wherever you bought it into US dollars. Like that, that is just, there is gonna be a fee to remove it from where you bought it. Um, so there, it's easy to, to research that, but there, there always will be a fee associated. And you wanna make sure that you can take it off and then you can hold it and then it is yours. And that I understand like custody like we were saying, there's no customer service. It is yours. It is yours. But you are the one that is responsible for it. Oh, I was going to say, so like, I feel like 
one way that I like thinking about self-custody is like with U.S. dollars. I think part of the problem with Bitcoin is there's no digital equivalent for U.S. dollars in terms of self-custody. Like, so today, if you wanted to take custody of the thousand dollars in a bank account, what, how would you do that? You know, if it's yeah. Right, but yeah, yeah. But the thing with cash is that you take it out and you get when you self custody dollars, you end up with an object that you can hold in your hand, right? So it's a real obvious difference when you're self custodying a dollar because you have a stack of cash on the table, right? And you look at it and you're like, well, this is mine now. It's like, who do you have to ask to be able to change it to send it to anyone? You don't. You just hand them the money, right? Bitcoin is a digital object. It's a digital thing, right? So. The self-custodying of Bitcoin kind of looks, it looks kind of similar when you have it in it, depending on what wallet you're using. Um, whether when someone else is holding those private keys, um, as a gentleman was saying, um, or whether they're in your own app, because it's all digital, right? So it's going to be a number in an app somewhere. It's just who owns the keys to which app. Who has access to it? And if I was to lose my phone, my Wells Fargo bank account is not affected by it. If I was to lose my phone, my Bitcoin on my Lightning wallet is gone. Gone forever. There is, I mean, there are ways, certain wallets, certain backups, but like depending on how I have set up my Lightning wallet, I could lose that Bitcoin if I lost my phone. And that's where I think of it more as a checking account, like a lightning wallet. You keep some some liquidity in there. You know, I can spend it at PubKey. But the for the lion's share of it, to not have it kind of on your person, carrying it around, and you can have it offline. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of like the how to save portion. But how to buy, so many ways. Um, there, I will talk about a couple, and then um, like three, three different, I'll highlight three different companies. Um, one, Swan, so I, I, I also initially bought on Cash App, and then I set up a weekly buy with, or a daily buy with Swan, and you can do your own research and, and find find out all of the things. Um, it it takes a couple days, and it's kind of a clunky, in my experience, a clunky process to withdraw from Swan. Um, I, I'm not saying they're doing shady things. It's just a little like, oh wow, I transferred it, and then what? You know, and it just it, it's a really nerve wracking thing if you're transferring money, a lot of money from one place to another, and it kind of goes dark and disappears for a while, and you don't have any communication about it, 
that's a little unnerving. It's just a little stressful, and I don't care how many times I've done it. I get my heart is beating every single time. People tell me it'll go away. It hasn't. Um, so that's one way. There's also, you know, there's this is something we won't dive into. There's there's services that almost help you like, you know, a wealth investment that you would say, hey, I'm going to give you this money and I would like you to invest it for me. And so then what they'll do is give, there's multi-sig and this is more vocabulary than we're going to go into for 101, but like they basically have one key, you have one key or two keys, you know, that there's a way that they have access, but you also have access to your Bitcoin. This is as simple as I can say it. So like Unchained Capital is is a service that you can, it, depending on how much you're putting in, how much you know uh, security you want to have, and like fail safes. And so by proxy, they're almost, um, they're not really customer service, but I've been using that metaphor, but they're like, if you lost a key, they they have a backup. They have a way to access it. So you you didn't just lose all the Bitcoin that you have. Um, and then, so River and I'm actually like I'm I'm excited to actually use River, but I hadn't. I lived in New York, and so I couldn't buy Bitcoin with Strike. I couldn't buy Bitcoin with River because I had a New York ID. And so one of the terms I really wanted to define is KYC. This is something that Bitcoiners talk about all the time stands for know your customer, and you're KYC'd all the time. I feel like I get KYC'd when I get ID'd when I come into a bar because they are checking my, they're verifying my identity. They're saying, are you this person, you know, but it's digitally, and then there's a tax record, and there's a government surveillance component of like, okay, so Mills over here just bought this much Bitcoin, and we know. And so they can basically say, you know, they're keeping track you're, you're kind of taking cash offline when you buy Bitcoin because it's not their money anymore. You, you converted it into different kinds of money. And so they don't have visibility into the money that you morphed into Bitcoin, but they know how much you spent of their dollars because they have that information. And so a lot of places, even on Cash App, when you are going to go to buy Bitcoin, it's very easy, but it takes you know five minutes. You take a photo of your driver's license, and and there are very few ways online that you can buy Bitcoin without providing your information, without KYCing yourself. Is this this is a requirement for opening up like a brokerage, or is this just for Bitcoin exchange? Do you know, like when you open a, a new, it's a requirement for all Twitter. All financial. all financial. So this you would have to go through the same process to open up. Any bank account? I Any think? bank account. Yeah. So, yeah. right. So, yeah. So, Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin is a financial transaction. Right. They have to know who you are. So, when someone says, Ooh, you got that nice non KYC Bitcoin, mm. what that means is peer to peer, person to person, I got Bitcoin. And it's not like I'm hiding it from the government, but the government was not involved in that. They weren't, it's like, you know, you have a marriage and you are considering yourself married, but you haven't gotten the marriage certificate. And I think the, like, running a Bitcoin miner is a very simple way to get non-KYC Bitcoin. Um, and also, if you have friends that run miners, you can buy sats from friends. But 
the long and short of it is it's tough to get a large amount of Bitcoin without KYCing yourself. And that that's just kind of the nature of the world. Steal it. Earn it. Get people to pay you for it. Yeah, using Bitcoin. I actually don't know on I haven't used Hoddle Hoddle. I don't know what the the process is like. Have you? I um so there was local bitcoins, rest in peace. Um but that was like the first the first one. There was also kind of like robust just like Craigslist like um matchmaking. Kind of dangerous. You just go to like a Starbucks or a train station with a duffel bag of cash looking for some fun. bitcoins. Um and then there was Bisque, right? Bisque. Which started as BitSquare. Was it originally called BitSquare? What was I think Bisque? you're right. I think so. Uh, and Hoddle Hoddle are, are kind of like those matchmaking services, um, which have done a, you know a lot to streamline the process. You know that duffel bag of cash. I think an underrated product that I actually wear. This doesn't have very much at all, but an open, open dime, dime allows you to like you know very quickly verify that you know there's Bitcoin on a device and you're able to take it with you. But in the early days, yeah, it was just back alleys. There's probably less than five dollars of Bitcoin. It's like you know, way overboard. <laughs> it's just, it's my wedding anniversary in Sats. So like, we're talking about pennies. <laughs> Aww, that's cute. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, all right. So where where are we going to next? We are doing the fun part. Let's do the fun part. I'm gonna get us more. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Circle back. Yes, have backups. Um, and uh, thank you for the reminder, too. Like, so the, there's a saying, not your keys, not your coin. You know, like, if, if, if it's not yours, it's not yours. And it's kind of like, oh, if it's not exclusively yours, it's not yours. If, if other people have access to it. Um, and I think, you know, there, we actually have someone from... River with us in person, so you can ask uh, all the questions that you want. Um, but it's hard as as someone that you know. My family members, her friends, are like, okay, so where do I buy it? And that's a tough question to answer um, without knowing someone's financials and not knowing like how are they buying it, why are they buying it, for what, how much of it is like, and. This is not financial advice. That's like the common disclaimer, disclosure statement. But I always tell people to only buy as much money as like if you went to a casino or, you know, that you shouldn't need to touch it. That's the, the like best advice I can give is like it's really tempting once you get into like just keep buying more, especially when the price is going up. You just want to put more and more in because you're watching your money grow. But 
remember, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. And so I always recommend dollar cost averaging, which is a weekly, daily buy, however you want to structure it. And it's the same dollar amount. So maybe it's $50 every week. Um, it depends on your personal finances. But depending on the scale that you're operating at, it's like maybe just buying on Cash App is totally fine for you. And also, maybe you should go with an institution that is going to help you. And I think, you know, I turn people that are more like not investing, because I'm trying to like break away from Bitcoin as investing, but thinking about it as a long term savings account. I think River does a really good job in that. And the difference I would say between Swan and River is like River built their product, and Swan is, is Prime Trust. And that the difference being like, it's I trust someone more that built their own engine of their car. I, I just do. And so I, I really like it's tough to recommend to pe people like, oh, how should I, you know, save my money? And then, you know, if anything goes wrong, it's like you have this personal fiscal <laughs> responsibility. But I, I do I recommend depending on where people are at like there's different ways that you can buy I used to buy Bitcoin on Swan I used to buy Bitcoin on Cash App um, and that's our demo because both Nifty and I bought our first Bitcoin on Cash App I actually think it's a really amazing easy way it is a minimal KYC you do put your driver's license in a lot of you might already have it. I don't know, you know, maybe we do a shows of hands, like how many people actually want to walk through and buy like $20 worth of Bitcoin. The, the demo is we buy $20 of Bitcoin on Cash App, download Phoenix Wallet, and then we move the $20 of Bitcoin to Phoenix, and then you can go, we're going to do a field trip. I'm, I, I love field trips. I've been excited about this all day. We could field trip to the bar, and then you can buy a beer, a beverage, whatever, and actually transact and spend. And Nifty actually runs these really cool LARPs, these live action role playing, like, they're, they're so, it, it looks so fun. Have you done one? I haven't actually participated. Oh, but I really, I've, I've seen her, she sets up, but you, it, it is this, well, you can give the, the pitch for it, but you do the. Yeah, it's like a, it's it's like a game. It's like a group game where we all break into little groups, little subgroups, and then you become a Bitcoin node, and you have to like make Bitcoin network work with like paper and pens. And we set up strings between all the little subgroups, so you have to send messages to all the other nodes on string. And so it's like being back in like the treehouse as kids trying to communicate with the other treehouses, except what you're communicating about or like Bitcoin transactions, and then. At the end, you know, like kind of near the end, we all start trying to mine blocks. You get to build a block and then try and mine it. You're trying to win the block before any of the other people win the block. So your block can be the one that everyone has to like add. To. So it's like it's super fun because you get like a team. You're like competing against other people, but it's also super educational because you get to touch and feel and see exactly how Bitcoin works. It's like the most accurate. Yeah. game like it's 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 almost exactly how bitcoin works like there's a few things that are slightly different but like it's 98 percent of the way there so when you're doing this stuff you're like actually doing what a bitcoin node does cool. when you're done with your travel hiatus you can come back and we can do one back here and we can yeah. do a larp 
I got all the stuff we could do in this week. Just like drop it. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a demo. Nifty <laughs> and I feel similarly about demos. Um, I, I think a lot of, there's a lot of friction. I think there's a lot of fear. I've talked to a lot of people. Like, it's just nerve-wracking um, in their minds. It seems scary. It seems hard. It's really very simple, and it's very straightforward. It's deceptively simple. It's like you do it, and you're like, that's it. Yeah. Like, what, what if it... It's gonna. Is that? That's not gonna work. I don't know. When I first started doing stuff in Bitcoin, I would be sending money around, kind of to myself or whatever. And it's just, I don't know. I get really nervous. I don't know how I ended. I like. I had to teach. I did all of my own stuff myself when I got into it. And it's like I don't. I don't know. It's great to have friends, buddies. Buddies. Push the buttons together, um, kind of thing. Okay. Show of hands. Who wa- who has Cash App? Who wants to buy twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin? Do do this whole adventure. We got we got a couple takers. Okay, this is gonna be fun, guys. Okay, I'm gonna share the screen of my phone, and you and if you haven't already provided the information to Cash App, it might uh, require. But we'll, we're we're here for it. I think on Cash App you can buy it. Without without KYC, but I think in order to pull it off, you might have to go through KYC. Is my experience. But we'll hey, jerk! Out. the The TV just disappeared on my screen mirroring. Did you, is there a? Can you refresh it? Maybe toggle it with the remote. Oh, you have the remote. How many of you have cash up already? But it wasn't showing Does up. everyone, a lot of people already have cash up? How many people have already bought Bitcoin before? And this is just like, okay, this is like almost everyone. Everyone's bought Bitcoin before. Okay. Okay. We're is doing that a question? Uh, yeah. So, this is my, uh, this is my really illustrious cash app currently. So I'm going to click on to Bitcoin. Finding the Bitcoin screen in cash app is actually really hard, personal yeah, opinion. Do we want to walk through how to find it? Like when you open up the app, it's like when you open the app, it doesn't show that screen. It shows a different one, right? This is... It shows the... It shows one of those screens. Yeah, it shows that yeah, screen. It shows... And so you have to go down onto the bottom. And I think it's is just this the screen one. it shows. That's when it yeah. starts on. So how do you get to Bitcoin from here? So you click on the far left, the actual, it says 108, but the cash balance. So however much you actually have in your, your in cash USD, app dollars. Yeah. yeah, your Venmo dollars, your cash app Venmo dollars. Venmo dollars. So I have this in my cash app account. And then I'm going to click on the Bitcoin app. Uh, and that's icon. how you get into the Bitcoin Yeah, so this is the Bitcoin section. I can look at, you know, the price over time, see the graph, and then I can click buy. And so there are ways to do the recurring order. Um, right now, I'm just going to buy $20, and it's going to pull up from my balance on my Cash App. So funding source, Cash App, $20. You see the exchange rate? And then you see the fees. It's going to be 45 cents. So 
I'm actually buying $19.55 worth of Bitcoin, and Cash App is taking $0.45. Cents. So I'm going to confirm this, and I have purchased, see the sats? 69,000 sats. No, six, nice. 690... 69,000 69, sats. My decimal number... Uh, okay, so done. Now, I actually just downloaded Phoenix, and I did a test in preparation. So I have a few sats in here. But um, the, I'm going to walk you through the... Uh, this is going to be very funny. Walk you through the screenshots that I took for this. <laughs> okay. So you download Phoenix Wallet. This is what you see. Next, next, get started. So I created a new wallet. So you pick the green button on so that side. So green button, screen, right? create the new wallet one, create instead new wallet. of restore my wallet because uh, I, I don't have any with Phoenix. So this is what I am taken to. And when I click on receive. Down at the bottom there. Down yeah. at the bottom left, this is what I'm taken to. So I get this QR code. There's three icons, copy, share, or edit. OK, fee expected. A fee of 2,700 sats may be needed to receive this payment. So they're telling me what it is. Down at the very bottom, lightning or blockchain. So we're not going to go deep into this, but lightning allows very fast settlement payments. And on-chain, or blockchain is what it's saying at the bottom, takes longer for a payment to settle. Um, the, that's, that's just high level. Um, Great high level, yeah. What we're going to say. So I'm going to click copy, the icon on the left. It's I'm in the middle. So there's three little round buttons in the middle. You're going to pick the left one, right? It says yeah. copy. And, and so that's going to copy the info that's in the QR code. That's like a big string of data. That's and then it copy says that to your clipboard. copied to pasteboard. Okay, so then I'm going to go, I'm going to really do this. So those are the icons of setting up. Um, but I'm going to go to my Phoenix wallet. So receive, copy, copy to pasteboard. Oh, any amount. Sometimes I might actually need to pick an amount. Let's see if, if it'll work without that. Um, okay, so I'm clicking the paper, I paper plane icon, buy, sell, Send. Send Bitcoin. So I'm going to send, actually, I'm going to, yeah, I have enough to do this. 20, a full 20. And name, cash tag, BTC address. So I'm going to paste the address in here. And it's showing up, yep, that's a Bitcoin wallet address. I didn't put an amount, so I think it's going to be mad at me, but we'll see. Oh. There we go. Okay, so pay $19.99. So fees, free. USD equivalent. We I've lost one cent since I did this. <laughs> and I'm going to pay and put my PIN in. And I have paid to myself, moved it from my Cash App to Phoenix. So now I can go back to my Phoenix wallet. And I have received. So that lightning was lightning fast. Yeah. That was lightning. So now I have 85,000 sats. And 
Now the fun part of the since everyone has already actually bought Bitcoin, so this we don't is need to walk so through. it looks the same. So this is Mills and I were talking about this earlier. I was like it looks the same as when it's in your yeah. Cash look, app thing. I see twenty four dollars twenty cents USD. It looks really similar to what it looked like in the Cash App. You had in the Cash App. Now you have it in the Phoenix app. Like, what's the different? How do I know that this one's like self custodial versus you know Cash App? We're saying that's not that's not self custodial because Cash App has the keys. But how do I know with Phoenix that I have the keys for this? I don't know. I feel like this so is. So when if you download Phoenix and I'm very new to it, um, but they have the they have recovery phrase and they also have um, a way to add more privacy to this. There's a pin on Cash App, but as far as like actual privacy, that's that's very different. Um, but it's a great question. I feel like this is like it's hard to know, right? It's hard. You almost have to like someone has to tell you like Cash App is non-custodial, Phoenix is custodial. One of the th nice things with Phoenix is that it gives you it gives you twelve words. So we don't want to pull them up on yours because then anyone in yeah. the room could take like twenty four twenty. <laughs> um, so we're not going to put them up there. But there should be. I think it's twelve words. It's twelve. Uh, I think, I think with on Phoenix, Phoenix it's, it's 12. 12. I think yeah. most people in the industry are moving towards 12, which is a good, it, you don't get extra. It's twice the work with the 24, and it doesn't give you anything really extra in security. Yeah. Um, it's a list of 12 English words. 12 it allows words. you to recover full access to your funds if needed. Only you alone possess this seed. Keep it private. Right. So it's something you don't take a screenshot of. I write them down on paper. Write them down on paper. Yes, Mr. We Armstrong. Question, yeah. Not so like. I went through this, so I had the same question. I was like, "This doesn't seem right. Twenty-four seems better, right? Like more words, would, more better. More words, more better." Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but this is a very unconvincing argument. I have, I have gone, th yeah, for some. Mm, Yep. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, there are a bunch of zeros in front of it, but 2048 is 12. Practically speaking, you're good. Yeah. Are there any laws to mix up languages like Spanish and Chinese? Not on the words. No. no. English. It's all English. There was for a while. I think there are there are other languages that are considered like standard. So there's like a list of Spanish words. I think there's a list of Japanese words. I think there there's a list of like of each of these in different words. Um, I don't want to get too into exactly how it works, but English is basically kind of is generally understood to be the standard. 
the reason for that is that you can't because of the way that the the protocol works from taking the the seeds and turning it into your actual like seed number I'm gonna hand wave a lot um, changing and it's I think it's kind of a silly I would call it kind of a stupid it's sort of anyways um, the what am I trying to say here I think that the actual words and the characters in the words matter and you can't change the language and still get the same result so it's actually kind of dangerous to have multiple languages for reasons yeah yeah Most wallets it's a standard. Have, yeah, most wallets have twelve words. English is the standard, though. <laughs> on at least on the mailing list, yeah, right. right. Yeah. 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 Yes, I mean, it was a lightning uh, transaction. In New York, no. Right. I, yeah, so you, there was a window of time when you could use Swan. Yes. Oh. Yeah, so I think, well, yeah. If people aren't able to do Lightning, they want to Venmo one of us, we'll send it to you on Lightning. Yeah, we're offering some uh, non-KYC sats yeah, over here. Sats if you want to. Well, we, we are the group. So there's, there's, um, there are, there's, a, there's a few different initiatives, like trying to do more peer-to-peer -peer transactions, but the legislation in New York, my recommendation is go outside of New York um, there's a so I, I have a friend from Argentina who made a telegram group called like LNP2P bot and you can start a telegram group where then you do trades over lightning or exchange stuff might be fun to start one for pubkey I don't know if that's that's a great idea yes so I could not go buy a beer with cash app with the Bitcoin that I bought in New York. Can you do it on? Yeah. Yeah. It might be longer, yeah. I can add. Oh, yeah. You go. I can add a little bit more color on PubKey's experience um, with Bitcoin transactions. Not easy for a business, particularly a business in New York, to um, activate this. So we have a second uh, point of sale, 
Our main point of sale is, um, is Square. Uh, Square has not integrated Bitcoin payments for merchants yet. Um, they definitely have the functionality in-house, right? Between Spiral and Cash App, it should be a flip of a switch. But operationally speaking, it's a heavy lift if it's not like a Bitcoin native company that's comfortable dealing with Bitcoin, particularly a bar, right? So think about the way payments work. If the bar is busy, uh, they're just trying to close out as quickly as possible. The vast majority of our transactions just happen with credit cards. So with on-chain transactions, you're right. It takes, you know, at a minimum, 10 minutes to actually, like, settle, settle. Um, you can have a zero conf uh, settlement. You can kind of just assume or trust that there's not going to be sort of uh, a double spend or some other attack. Um, but it gets quite complicated. Lightning is a very good solution, but Lightning is still in its infancy. It's, a, it, it's you know, new technology that's being rolled out to the extent that a bar could actually rely on it. When we started with our second point of sale with Zeus, we enabled both payments, right? On-chain and Lightning. We only had one issue across both in the entire existence of our, of our Bitcoin transactions, and it was an on-chain transaction where the patron sent uh, Bitcoin from the coin, uh, his Coinbase account. And that hung for a little while, and it was a large tab. They were both enjoying themselves. They were from town. English was not their native language, and uh, some panic ensued at the bar. But everything worked out fine. Eventually, it cleared, and that was OK. Once we hit, there was an event uh, earlier in the year when ordinals and BRC20 tokens became a thing. Transaction fees went up dramatically, and the time to clear Bitcoin transactions took a little bit longer. So we used that as, uh, I guess, the, the, the driving um, uh, uh, factor behind going lightning only. We haven't had a single problem with lightning since inception. Lightning transactions are in a little bit of a dubious gray area because of the New York bit license. So if you run a Lightning node, you're also routing payments, which triggers some of the nasty money service business li license language maybe. in the bit license. Maybe. maybe. I totally agree, maybe. And I have pressed, there are two companies in particular that um, have been having conversations with the New York Department of Financial Service. They're the ones that implemented the bit license and still monitor all this stuff. There is a carve out for Bitcoin transactions to merchants, right? And that's how PubKey can accept Bitcoin transactions and not have to get a bit license. We use Voltage f uh, for our node as a service, whatever. And we also have um, uh, capabilities to restrict or have a barrier on outgoing transactions where we're basically a one-way channel, right? We're not really a, a viable routing node for Lightning purposes. We have outgoing transactions set at like 100 Bitcoin or something like that. I mean, if we get to the point where somebody's <laughs> buying 100, 100 Bitcoin worth of hot dogs, things are good, and we're expanding rapidly to other cities, but I don't think that we're gonna get there. But um, Cash App and Nidig in particular have been a little bit, in my view, a little bit too, um, uh, I guess, accepting of the NYDFS's, you know, uh, concerns, hand-wringing concerns over Lightning. I think that we can push a little bit harder from a policy and regulatory perspective to help educate, you know, the, the, the regulators and not have this be a thing. But for the time being, a lot of these companies are not able to service uh, New York City residents and businesses. Mm -hmm. And that includes, you know, River, Swan, Cash App, Strike, Strike 
like a lot of them have just said, you know, screw this jurisdiction. We're going to go without New York, which is also kind of a weird thing for a New York regulator in, you know, the financial world because it's the financial capital of the world. So they, they think that this is just something that the industry and the technology will adapt to. And we were able to adapt to it. But the conversation has really just gotten started and is going to take a long time to continue to develop and make progress with. Regulatory capture city. Yeah. It's, you know, it's also one of the main reasons why we started PubKey. Um, there needs to be more of a Bitcoin presence in New York City and these places that matter. Uh, we feel the same way about DC. We feel the same way about London. You know, we have aspirations to go to a lot of other cities and create this space that not only hosts these meetups that people come to and can learn about the technology, but embedding the technology into our, you know, data. We had um, uh, one of our bartenders uh, onboarded to Zeus just last week, Frankie, uh, Zeus Pay. Frankie is the first one, and the idea is to roll it out to uh, the entire staff, but they're able to take Bitcoin directly to their own uh, Lightning instance, and they control that, right? So um, we're, trying to, we're trying to use the technology to the full extent of its capabilities. And I mean, I, I'm, I maybe am jokey about a field trip, but I have to say, like, the amount of times that I, my friends are curious enough that they'll go through setting up a wallet so I can send them, I'll tell them, I'll, like, I'll send you 20 bucks in Bitcoin if you, you know, go through this with me. Um, I think everyone's always surprised, but what's really special is having a place where you could, you know, bring a friend here for a drink and show them how you can buy them a drink in Bitcoin and that it's as easy as scanning a QR code. And that's that's the, that's the fact of the matter. Like, the, the user experience is actually very frictionless with Lightning, thanks to Lightning. And you, you ask, like, oh, if I do an on-chained... It, to be fair, if you're using if you're using one of the the wallets uh, or one of the like Lightning intermediaries, right? I think Cash App and Strike are basically like Lightning facilitators. I particularly like Strike because you can have U.S. dollars in your account and you can pay a Lightning invoice, a Bitcoin invoice, uh, and the Bitcoin gets sent. But that also takes one of the main problems out of the equation, which is the taxable event. If you send Bitcoin, then you're technically selling Bitcoin, and that person is supposed to report that for, for, for tax purposes. Correct. So Strike has a very elegant solution for that. But these are still facilitators. For, for individuals to interact with Lightning in the same way that they would potentially just download, download Bitcoin Core wallet and you know, some other services, it's a lot easier to interact directly with Bitcoin than it is to interact directly with Lightning. Um, and that's just a product of sort of the newness of the technology. There's a lot of infrastructure, and there's been massive, massive strides in this. I'm not trying to, to Absolutely. downplay the work that, that, that's been done. But I do think that we are still in the intermediary facilitator uh, era of light. training wheels. Yeah, I, still I, I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Hopefully, it, the training wheels are not going to be on. You know, it's almost like when Coinbase first launched and, you know, Circle's first application as a company was just a buy and sell wallet. And they made it really easy. Before, we were talking about going to a train station with a duffel bag or using the red phone, uh, you know, at like a Walmart or something like that. Um, 
So I think that you know it'll happen quickly, but it still is pretty interesting to see, you know, the developments from PubKey's perspective. It's still only two to three percent of the total transactions that we take in, so it's de minimis, right? From a business perspective, like the the resources that we put into you know training and you know figuring out how to facilitate these transactions don't necessarily make sense from a pure like commercial viability perspective, but they're growing over time. And it's, you know, I think an important thing for us to provide because, you know, 75% of the people that come to PubKey don't even know this is a Bitcoin bar, let alone know what Bitcoin is or care. But every single time somebody pays in Bitcoin at the bar, you'll have folks on either side just, you know, kind of, you know, peek over and say, what the hell is that? And it, you know, sparks a little bit of curiosity. Um, so, zooming out, what is Bitcoin, how to buy it, how to spend or send it? We talked about, you know, I, I demoed sending, light, over lightning sending from the, the Bitcoin I bought on Cash App to my Phoenix wallet. This is the alternative, which is an on-chain, and there is a minimum on Cash App if you're going to send something um, standard is 0.001. Bitcoin. So they're like, I can't send $10. I can send $10. I can do smaller transactions with Lightning. I can't with Cash App. That's just their standard. So I can choose to pay a $2.10 fee for less than 10 minutes. And Rush arrives in less than two hours, and it's a $1.10 fee. So uh, the difference. You know, I think the big thing, and we, we haven't talked about remittances and like the global currency aspect, and like some of my favorite parts about Bitcoin is how much of a freedom tool it is. But sending, you know, between different currencies, between different com countries, um, Lightning is is you know this this layer two is what it's called. It's like built upon. It's the second story of the house that makes transaction fees so simple um, it, they're they're a couple percent you know it's 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 still it's like one percent or depending on who who you bought from who you're sending it with it's not that there isn't a fee it's negligible and the the issue is when you're doing large transactions it's having liquidity in the channels to be able to. Um, but for small transactions, like buying a hot dog, it's the absolute perfect use case, and it's very, very simple and straightforward. So um, I would never send myself $10 on chain from Cash App to Phoenix. I, I like that Cash App won't even let me do it. But uh, um, I want to, like, our, our next segment, you know, how to buy, how to spend or send, um, and then how to save. I want to land the plane there with, we've talked about, Cold storage, you know, like my my Phoenix wallet is a is a hot wallet. You know, it's connected to the internet. I can add more things to it real time. Use it to pay real time. It's like cash in my wallet physically. Um, if I want to take something offline, it, it's miscon. It, it's a little confusing, I think, because it's like, well, yeah, you took it offline, but what you did was you you really like just have the the keys over here, and it's a it's you know called Call it a signing device. Call it a hardware wallet. There are different devices that you can purchase. I think we have some for sale, in fact. Um, and we're actually going to do a 201 demo of setting up 
a cold card, um, which is one of the, I mean, one of the best options. This is my personal favorite option of, of like a cold storage. It's device. not your grandma's hardware wallet. That's right. My grandma's dead. It's, well, I'm sorry. I wasn't <laughs> trying to go there. It, it is a little bit harder to use a cold card. Um, we have <laughs> tap signers available from the same company um, uh, for sale here. And um, we've had a couple of hardware wallets come through. I aspire to have um, Trezor. Trezor? Trezor, but Trezor sounds I do Trezor. cool. Trezor? It's Trezor. Yeah, yeah, it's Trezor. Trezor or Trezor? Trezor? You don't I say, trust me? I say Trezor. I know for a fact. Legere. I know for a fact. <laughs> and then also, um, I also really like uh, the Foundation Passport. Um, it looks like the Nokia phone. There was a big dust-up between Cold Card and Foundation, and there has been Drama. for a while. Drama. Um, Drama. But, like, quite a good device, to be honest. Like, easy to use, very, very intuitive. The user, the user experience, the UI, UX, the whole thing is actually quite nice. I like them all except for Legere. Um, <laughs> I think Ledger sucks. Cool. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, <laughs> question. The hexagram is actually super cool. Um, He's been talking the about Bit the hexagram. Key. I haven't Bit personally. Bitkey from, from Cash App or whatever. It's a new one. It's not out. But I, I saw out. one. Um, uh, I saw one of the beta models. Um, very very cool device. Like th this is going to be one of those like super streamlined, and it also has multi sig effectively built into the entire yeah. the entire thing. Yeah, it's actually. They, I think they did it right. Uh, okay, this is where I'm going to disagree, where it doesn't have a screen, you can't do any verification, and, like, it kind of feels like they're doing, it kind of feels like they're doing, like, security theater. Like, it's like, it's like, you're tapping it, it's like, you have, it feels like you're doing the thing, but, like, there's no way you can verify you're doing the thing. So, as all I know, it might actually just be, like, a dumb thing that you're touched, and it's like... So maybe it's just got a little light. I mean, I know they did a lot of hard. I know the team. I know they're doing like hard engineering work. But as like a spec protocol person who like cares about self, like being able to verify stuff for yourself, right, is like a big part of it. There's also this thing where like the server has to be involved. So if the server goes offline, yeah. like it's. So what, what what I like about it, and I think that you were touching on this before. That one way to think about it is sort of how you think about accounts that you have currently, right? So the difference between a checking and a savings account, the difference between like the walking around money that you have in your wallet, I think that um, the big key one for me is kind of in between walking around money and a checking account. And it's not perfect. It's not like deep, cold storage. That to me is a bit of a different use case. And what Nifty was, was referring to is there's no screen on the device where you're able to effectively um, double check the information you're seeing, right, 
uh, uh, like on the on the screen, like the transaction information, right? So all hardware wallets are are effectively signing devices. The private key effectively resides on the hardware wallet and is simply signing a transaction that is built off device in many cases. Uh, not all cases. Yeah. Oh, uh, they leaked my home address, uh, and they also can reconstruct the private keys of all their users. They have access. They, they, yeah. yeah. They prove they can get the key off the device. It's just Ledger, Ledger. isn't the most secure option. Yeah. And they had, a ma they had a massive leak of all customers that have ever ordered a device from them. Um, so this is, this is very much, uh, you know, uh, an ongoing concern a company that is built around privacy and security, like for them to have two of these catastrophic fuck ups is yeah. like it's not it's it's let's say suboptimal. <laughs> we Not true. That's not true, because not all of them, one, are on the internet. If they don't, no. And two. Yes, there's a level of trust that we are giving. Yeah. You're right. Sometimes I think about the random number generator and Powerball machines when they're spitting out the tickets. Because sometimes I get the same numbers on the same ticket. If it's a big one, I do like a $10 Powerball, and it spits out the same number. That's a bad random number generator. Same thing for some of these chips. You do have a certain amount of information where you're able to brute force. Um, I think that that's still exceptionally hard to do. Exceptionally hard to do. Yeah. I will give you, so we have to vacate the premises. We need to migrate from this room. Um, there's a mom's group at eight. I will give you my, my answer, which is uh, a little, I, I don't know that anyone would ever say what I'm about to say, but I'll tell you at the bar. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much. We will ask more, we will answer more questions, but we have to vacate. Thanks, guys. Bitcoin 101. Nifty, thank you so much for coming. Mills, this was fantastic. Thank you for organizing. Tomorrow night, we have Paul Stork coming for Drive Chains. Thank you so much. See you at the bar. Tip your bartenders in Bitcoin. <laughs>